Alright, episode 6 of Frenemies. We are coming to you live just after the Rams beat the brakes off the New England Patriots, my LA Rams, led by none other than rookie running back out of Florida State, Cam Akers, who had a monster 171 yards on the ground. Um, This win, quite frankly, Joel, felt very, 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 very cathartic. Even, dare I say, even more cathartic than beating Tom Brady a couple weeks ago, given the uh, the Super Bowl, that ugly, ugly Super Bowl where the Rams lost to mainly Bill Belichick's defense and the Patriots' defense. So, yeah, great win all around, Joel. Um, I can't imagine you feel the same way about the way your team played against the Patriots. Yeah, um, I mean, the score was the score <laughs> was a little different, I believe. Just a just tiny a little. bit. I mean, the Rams, hats off, just came off a nice Thursday night football win where they held the Patriots to only three points, one at 24 to three. And, uh, well, the Chargers, they kind of did the opposite of that. They scored zero and allowed 45, in big part due to our special teams. It was an ugly game. You want to talk about that for a sec? I, I don't want to, but I know we have to just because it's, you know, it was so atrocious that, yeah, I mean, first off, there were some glaring things, but some things that didn't normally happen. Michael Badgley has taken a turn for the worst this year. He was money last year. He even gained the name Money Badger because he was just, he would hit every field goal. I mean, last year he had one of the highest percentages of made field goals in the league this year. I mean, he missed two field goals. Right at the end of the half, he had one blocked in return for a touchdown by the Patriots. He is not kicking the ball well, and I don't know if that's coaching or he's lost his confidence, gotten in his head, but he has been a big part of special teams, hasn't done well, as well as a number of other things. But I I don't really know what's going on with Michael Badgley. What do you think? I don't know. Dare I say, it sounds like the money badger is kind of an endangered species now. (laughs) Seriously, I don't know. I used to be confident last year about him, and now I'm just sketched out. It's weird. Well, look, Joel, here, here's what I have to say. You're the Chargers. You can't feel good about your kicking and your special teams for too long. Fate won't allow it. It won't. It is a natural rule of physics that the Chargers can never have a consistently good kicking unit or special teams unit. I especially loved how I'm, I've got the tweet up here from Daniel Popper from The Athletic. He covers the Chargers over there. The Patriots, I'm quoting him now, the Patriots lined up to punt five times in this game. The Chargers had the wrong number of players on the field for three of those plays. On one series, they lined up for a punt with 12, got flagged, and gave up the first down. Then, four snaps later, they lined up with 10. So, um, yeah, that's not what you want. No, it's not. Never. It's never what you want. I... <laughs> I mean, it even prompted this week. I mean, I've been calling for Anthony Lynn and Gus Bradley's head, and, and, and now I have a new person's head to call for, which is George Stewart, a special teams coach. His performance this season has been so bad that following this week, Anthony Lynn will actually now be taking over special teams duties as George <laughs> Stewart, assistant head coach and offensive analyst for the Chargers, has not gotten the job done at all. We lead the league in blocked punts. It's just been atrocious. Can't get the right amount of people out on the field. So we're now to our head coach, who I think is probably done after this year. A lot of people saying he could be fired after this game. The Chargers came out and said they respect Anthony Lynn and they're going to assess after the season is completed. But Anthony Lynn now, he calls the plays, he's the head coach, and now he's calling the special teams. So, hey, 
Maybe if he gets fired as a head coach, but has a good few weeks here, maybe he'll get hired on as a special teams coach. But yeah, he's going to take over after George Stewart. I mean, the, the special teams has failed miserably, and this isn't this isn't a first for the Chargers. Crazy stat, back in 2010, the Chargers actually led the league statistically in both offense and defense. I remember this. I remember this. They went 7-9 and nine and missed the playoffs. How do you have the best offense and defense and lose? And there are moments you can look back where the special teams was so blatantly bad in key moments yep. of the game that just killed us. So it's bad special teams, nothing new for the Chargers, unfortunately. You can have a great offense and defense and still miss the playoffs. This year, we have a solid offense, a suspect defense when it comes to closing games and in atrocious special teams. Insanely ugly all around. Uh, what can you say? The Chargers are just kind of a laughing stock when it comes to this. And uh, it does look like they will be in the market for a new head coach. I think that that's pretty much a given at this point. I think any doubt of that was erased when the Patriots beat them 45 to nothing. And then five days later, turn around and lay an absolute egg against the Rams. I want to go back to the Patriots-Rams game for a second. Just because I am amazed once again at the job that first-year defensive coordinator Brandon Staley, a disciple of Vic Fangio, who is a legendary defensive coordinator is in his own right, now the Denver Broncos head coach. Um, but Brandon Staley coming coming in to replace a legendary defensive coach in himself and Wade Phillips has just done an amazing, amazing job with this unit. Uh, it was honestly pretty incredible. I think, you know, it's safe to say the Patriots offense has been taking steps back for a few years now. And Cam Newton hasn't exactly righted the ship in the way some hoped he would. But at the same time, it is just absolutely incredible to see I've been very critical of Jalen Ramsey at points in the past, but the job that he's done week after week, shutting down an opposing team's number one receiver, we saw it last week against DeAndre Hopkins. He had a monster game, which honestly is a huge reason why the Rams prevailed in that one in a huge division matchup with the Cardinals. Ramsey was just incredible against Hopkins in that one. Um, We've seen it in prior weeks with DK Metcalf and Mike Evans, but just the entire Rams secondary stuck up. I want to give a special shout-out to uh, Kenny Young, former Raven. Had eight total tackles. Six of those were solo. He had a sack and a pick six. Wow. Incredible night for the Rams defensive back. Um, Just flat-out amazing. That pick six especially because it had come right when it seemed like the Patriots were finally getting a break. They had picked Goff off themselves. Um, They were driving deep into Rams territory for the first time in the game. And uh, Kenny Holmes... Really, I will say he was in the right place at the right time because I don't know where Cam Newton was throwing that ball. I do know that he had Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers bearing down on him, which was a constant theme of the night. Brockers finished with two sacks, Aaron Donald with one. Uh, with Honestly, go back and watch the highlight of that because it's kind of like the most classic Aaron Donald sack ever where you're <laughs> like, this man is doing things that humans should not be doing to other humans. But just an incredible game for the defense all around. And on the offense, it had to feel good for Sean McVay. You know, for all the talk about, yes, this is kind of a cathartic Super Bowl revenge game for the Rams and certainly a lot of members of the Rams franchise. I think the biggest takeaway is that the Rams and, you know, the Patriots are obviously missing a lot on their defensive front compared to where they were two years ago. But for everything that Todd Gurley did while he was a Ram, just not having him at full strength in that Super Bowl, you see how much it hurt. Because when the Rams have a competent run game and they can rely on that, 
like McVeigh did today, like that that changes everything for them. Even when Goff doesn't have a good night, it allows him to uh, still get receivers open. They they love running play action. They love running bootleg. And so establishing the run, you typically don't see the Rams rely on the run as much as they did tonight. But the fact that they were just able to just establish it so forcefully against New England set the tone for tonight. And it was like I said, Joel, it was it was just awesome. Yeah, no, I was an impressive performance. Obviously, two very different teams than met in the Super Bowl, but still, it's the Rams and the Patriots. You got to harken back to that definitely embarrassing Super Bowl for the Rams, where they only managed to put up three. And you know, it's a little poetic justice. They only allowed three in this one. So, yep. just yeah, just a great game. You love to see you love to see guys step up out of nowhere. I mean, Kenny Young's been playing, but he hasn't been playing like this. I mean, wow, <laughs> what an incredible yeah. what an incredible interception return that really swung the momentum completely of the game. Like you said, it looked like the Patriots could maybe get back into it. And yeah, Aaron Donald's just a freak of nature. Brockers, I mean, when they get a good pass rush, that defense is nasty and it's one of the best in the mm-hmm. NFC. And you see that now they're 9-4, and four, their first place in the division. And this was a huge, huge win coming off another big win last week against division rival Cardinals, who are now down to 6-6. Six and six. So it's now a two-team race for the top of that NFC West, and uh, the Rams are looking good right now. If they can continue to pass rush well and establish that run, not make Jared Goff do everything, if they can establish that run, Cam Akers had a huge night tonight, and much to my demise on my fantasy team, Daryl Henderson did not. Yeah. Had .5 points, not starting <laughs> him again. <laughs> I'm out of the playoffs already. It's just a consolation bracket. So that's that's where I'm at right now. But good to see the rookie Cam Akers. He was a beast at Florida State. And yeah, good to see him kind of have his, his breakout game in the NFL. And Rams will definitely look to feed him more if he continues to run the ball like that. But yeah, just the connection also with Cooper Cup down the goal line. I mean, Jared Goff and Cooper Cup on the goal line is one of the most deadly combos in those short yardage situations. So good to see that connection happen again. Great throw. That was an incredible throw. The bootleg scramble found Cooper Cup open just barely in the flat. Cup, his footwork was excellent. Got two feet down just before he went out of bounds. Definitely one of the highlights of the night. Here's a fun fact, Joel, and I, I kind of want to leave it at this, um, unless you have something more to say from this game. It took the Rams three minutes and 39 seconds to score more this game than they did in the entire Super Bowl two years ago. That was the amount of time it took for them to drive down the field on the opening drive and score a touchdown, which is which was just basically Jared Goff doing his best kind of impersonation of me going up for a board when uh, we play pickup basketball. <laughs> just like just like trying to like reach and like flail towards like in a general direction. But hey, you know what? It worked. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's awesome to see that. Get that monkey off your back. I mean, you don't want to be thinking yeah. about it, but last time you did play this team, you put up three in the most important game of your life. So you had to drive down and set the tone early from the Rams, put up an early seven. They went on to score 24 points in the game. And yeah, the Rams are looking like a dangerous team. Sean McVay, after that disappointing season last year, has really gotten back. I'd say to that form they had in that Super Bowl year. And now the Rams are looking good going into the postseason. And I'm sure we'll be hoping to get that one or two seed in the NFC if possible. But if not, for sure, they're going to be gunning when they head up to Seattle in a few weeks for that one seed in the NFC West. Yeah, I don't know how realistic it is. Like, it's still realistic. There's still some football left to be played. But I do believe that the Packers and the Saints kind of do have the top two seeds on lock. 
that said, even just in a now seventeen playoff format, having that number three seed in there um, and just being able to have a game at home, so you don't have to worry about opposing fans, even though it's obviously very unlikely that the Rams will have any of their own fans in a playoff game. But even just getting a playoff game in there and not uh, having to worry about opposing fans and playing a weak wild card team, probably one that you've already beaten. Right now, I believe they'd be projected to play Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks, who we obviously beat a few weeks ago on Monday Night Football. So to have that kind of clinch as like uh, your wild card week matchup, I think sets the Rams up very, very well for a long playoff run. The top of the NFC looks great. Aaron Rodgers has had an amazing resurgence. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be very hard to beat the Packers and or the Saints. But the Rams, I think, are proving that they are in that top tier in the NFC. So it's going to be fascinating to watch these next couple months. Yeah, going to be interesting. I obviously first season in the new stadium for both the Rams and the Chargers. I was hoping there'd be a postseason game in the first year there. I was hoping for a different team. It's not going to be my team this this year, but yeah, Rams are definitely going to look to lock up hopefully that three seed over Seattle. Big game coming up in a few weeks against Seattle. We'll really pretty much decide that division it's looking like. And sad there aren't going to be fans there, but would be great to start off the postseason this year in their brand new stadium hosting a playoff game. Yeah, I mean... I will say the environment of hosting playoff or playoff caliber games in the Coliseum was so, so special. And I hope that soon we'll be able to replicate that in SoFi. Speaking of the Coliseum, Sunday night football had a little extra blend because USC and Washington State faced off. Joel knows this. Two of our best friends are diehard Washington State Cougars fan. I live with one of those guys, our buddy Carson Dreher. I actually got to watch the game with Carson. It was beautiful, Joel. I got to say, USC scored 28 points in the first quarter. All four of those were touchdown receptions to Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown's at one point, I believe his uh, stat line was four receptions, six yards, four touchdowns. <laughs> it was beautiful. The What I was most impressed by is yes, the offense, I think I was a little less surprised that the offense did so well just because the air raid with these receivers, I knew Washington State had a pretty bad secondary. I wasn't expecting, like I knew we could score on them, but the defense really, really, really stepped up. Jane Deloria looked incredibly shaken. Mm -hmm. Our linebackers played really well. We picked uh, Deloria off, I believe, twice in that first quarter, uh, which led to some easy scores. Great game all around from Todd Orlando's crew, which has now produced some really, really, really good performances in back-to-back weeks against teams that were expected to have a bit of a pop on offense. So I got to say, you know, I've criticized Todd Orlando on here before, dude, but I'm warming up to him a little bit. If, <laughs> if USC can keep this up, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, how can you not after that, I think it was 38-13 drubbing, I mean, in the last touchdown was scored in garbage time, they held that Coog's offense, who has looked deadly at times. I mean, they, they they were able to put up some points against Oregon, ultimately losing that game, uh, put up good points against Oregon State. But yeah, the Cougs had come off a long break at, due to COVID, had their game canceled with Washington. Tough matchup at the Coliseum against USC. And the Trojans, from the get-go, from the very beginning of the game, it was it was apparent who the better team was. They came out, they set the tone early with so many points in that first quarter. It was over after the first quarter. And I mean, what more can you ask for if you're the Trojans than to come out and lay 28 on them? 
I mean, that's that's an impressive performance. And Keaton Slovis had one of the better games I've seen him play. He was hitting on all cylinders. The best game of his career, without a doubt. I would say so. I don't think there's much of an argument. Um, yeah. 25 of 32, 287 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions, 97.9 quarterback rating. I was expecting him to have, like I said, a solid game given that uh, Washington State secondary has a lot of holes. But, oh, my goodness, he just he looked locked in the entire night. I was very, very, very impressed. Not every defense is going to be this easy, but the fact that he was able to kind of beat up on such a weak defense is a great sign for kind of his future development as we get into the rest of the season into 2021. If he can perform games like this against bad Pac-12 defenses, USC is going to be in great shape. Yeah, I mean, you saw him struggle, I mean, a little bit against some earlier in the season, brought up some questions, I mean, against Arizona, Arizona State. Exactly. Those defenses aren't amazing. So, yeah, to see him really show that growth now in their fourth game of the season to come out and just dominate one of those defenses is definitely an encouraging sign to see for USC fans and yeah, like you said, the defense was excellent. Todd Orlando had a game plan ready to stop Jaden Delora, who he is young. He's a freshman. He's taking his lumps right now. I think he's going to be a good quarterback, but yeah, the defense had him flustered all night. He wasn't ready for the different looks that were being thrown at him through some bad interceptions, holding the ball too long and taking some sacks. And yeah, Trojan's defense got after it, held him to 13 points and the offense gave him Plenty of support behind him, so recipe for success. Yeah, Jane Delore is a freshman. He'll be there a while. He's got plenty of time to improve. He's shown some flashes this year. I do expect better things for him ahead, um, but I'm just very, very, very impressed by how Todd Orlando's defense handled him. Uh, our linebackers really stepped up. Hunter Eccles, Isaiah Polamayo, each with an interception, which I believe both took place in that first quarter. They set the tone early and they never let up. So that was really, really good to see. Right. I want to talk about something a little wild. We were talking a little earlier in the show with our friends Tyler and Luke about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and about some college football playoff scenarios. USC, they're undefeated. They're they're looking like they could be an undefeated team winning the Pac-12 championship. If you're going to talk about a five-win Ohio State team who doesn't win a conference championship, as much as I hate to say this, you can't throw out USC entirely. You can't do it entirely. Uh, Yeah, but I think on strength of schedule, that's where, like, yeah, I think they should be considered, but based on strength of schedule, USC will have played literally nobody. They'll have uh, one on the last possession against Arizona State and Arizona, they had a good win against Utah. Washington State, Nick Rolvers' first year, clearly they're still developing what that program identity is. They'll play a horrific UCLA team, which makes me so happy to say that because uh, screw UCLA forever. <laughs> I love that the Chip Kelly experiment imploded there. Joel, you have no idea how happy that makes me. <laughs> and then, you know, they beat UCLA and then they play either Oregon or Washington both with already a loss, actually in Oregon's case, two losses on their resume. There's nobody there to say like, oh, we, you know, there's not a quality win you can hang your hat on there. I think that's why you have to weigh kind of as uh, Tyler and Luke were talking about earlier. You have to kind of weigh this in favor of the SEC and the ACC because they have been playing the longest. Yeah, they've been playing the longest and they've played some good teams, obviously some statement wins as Alabama has a big win over A&M and Georgia. And yeah, Notre Dame has that win over Clemson. And yeah, I mean, it is looking like that. I think USC definitely has a good shot to 
get a New Year's Six if they were to finish in the top 10, if they go undefeated, play in Oregon and Washington, and say they have a dominant win maybe in that game. Obviously, USC's in a weird season right now, and it's hard to get that strength to schedule up when you're playing some of the weaker teams in the Pac-12 to start with, with, yeah, Arizona, some of those teams who aren't super strong right now, and it's just a weird year, but the Trojans, they've adapted to the weird year and so far haven't lost a game, the only undefeated Pac-12 team, so... We'll see where they go from here and whether they can, yeah, sneak into that top 10. We'll see what happens. But yeah, going to be an exciting final few weeks here as we're winding down the college football season. Yeah, I think that was kind of best case scenario coming into the season was being able to take care of business on our schedule and then put us in good shape heading into the Pac-12 championship game. If we do end this season with the Pac-12 championship, in a year where it was kind of meant to be like, yeah, we take another step forward, but obviously COVID created chaos in so many ways. I'm happy with that result. I can live with that result. Even me as a depressed USC fan can live with that result. There's a lot of hope for the future in that though. I feel like, I mean, if you, if you have a good season and you're able to win the PAC 12, I feel like you can definitely build on that. I mean, this is a weird year. They're only able to play seven games only in conference weren't able to schedule some of those strength builders, you know, resume builders. So, I mean, they've, they're doing the best they can with what they've been given, haven't lost a game. So that's got to give you hope moving into the next season, I'd say for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's kind of why I'm able to kind of see the silver lining so clearly with this season. Speaking of silver linings and a lot of good from this season, we're going to now get into our talk with Luke Smith and Tyler Wojak from Sons of Saturday Irish. They were kind enough to hop on and Luke and Tyler and Joel had a lot of fun talking about Notre Dame's amazing 2020 season while I just kind of sat in the corner and tried to hold in my tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a great talk with them and uh, we'll, we'll head over to that now. We are joined by two special guests today from Sons of Saturday Irish podcast, uh, Tyler Wojak and Luke Smith. Welcome to the podcast, guys, and excited to talk some Notre Dame football about the ACC championship coming up. How are you guys feeling about it? I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, appreciate it. And uh, definitely I'm looking forward to that game in, in nine days. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, since November 7th, we've been looking for it, honestly. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a game. Yeah, no, obviously the first time these teams faced off, it was, um, I believe it was the most watched college football game of the 2020 season, which is kind of staggering to think about given that the game was interrupted in the middle of it for Joe Biden's presidential victory speech. So it's pretty incredible that even despite that, it was still probably the most, it, it was the most watched game, um, I believe. And uh, so just an incredible, uh, probably one of the best sports events of 2020 and just an incredible, incredible game. I know you guys were super hyped about it. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm outing myself a little bit here. I had the the pleasure of actually being there. Um, oh, that's awesome. I, uh, Found a way to get in, even though it was pretty much only students and faculty. And uh, you wouldn't have guessed there were 8,000 people there. It was uh, it was pretty loud that night and uh, pretty much just told myself there was no way I was missing that one. So I was in South Bend that weekend, <laughs> got a ticket, made my way into the stadium, and uh, I got my money's worth and then some. Uh, it was a very stressful evening, but um, just really resulted in – pretty much the most cathartic feeling I've had um, from another name event in my lifetime. And uh, definitely not one that, that I'll forget anytime soon. And uh, boy, I, I can't wait to see it uh, this next time around with, with Trevor Lawrence on the field in Charlotte. 
Yeah, that last game, I was like pacing around my living room watching it on TV. Normally, I can keep like, like I have to watch a lot of games at work, so I'll chill out and just kind of go stoic. But that one, there was like, there was just no stopping. I couldn't, I couldn't stop moving frantically, and uh, it was a super long game. I obviously, went into two overtimes, and by the end of it, I felt like physically exhausted myself as if I had just played because that's how much it took out of me, but looking forward to doing it again. It was just crazy. I mean, you're talking about the end of that game. I mean, I obviously went to two overtimes. I was doing the same thing as Utah. I was pacing around. I was squatting, like couldn't, when they went up with about three minutes and then that missed PI call where we had to punt the ball away, I was like, we're screwed. You know, it was just such a range of emotions to go through towards the end of that game. And for Ian book to take him 93 yards and, get the win ultimately in double overtime was just yeah exhilarating but going to be a little different landscape with Trevor Lawrence but really really looking forward to another rematch with them I think yeah any every college football fan is I want to start off by asking the three of you um, I'm a USC fan so as I posted in the show notes my entire reaction internal reaction to hearing you guys say great things about Notre Dame's amazing season is just going to be the rage crying face but um (laughs) I want to ask the three of you, taking back to about four years ago when uh, Adoree Jackson was running all over your special teams units in the um, Coliseum, uh, Notre Dame was about to drop to four and eight. It looked like Brian Kelly was sure on the hot seat. If I was to go back in time and tell you that, you know, among other things going on in 2020, that Notre Dame would uh, has finished for all intents and purposes two undefeated regular seasons over the next uh four years and very possibly two college football playoff bursts would you guys have believed me well i don't know about you luke but i mean the 2016 felt it was horrible um my interest in it was pretty low but yeah to be honest after a certain point because i'm a big cleveland indians fan and luke's a big cubs fan and they met in the world series that year so honestly postseason baseball pretty much occupied uh, most of my time and energy once Notre Dame clearly wasn't going to be competing for anything. But I'm not going to lie, I felt kind of fluky um, because in 2015, Notre Dame had an incredible team and we were just four, yeah, three or four years removed from going to the national championship. So it got bad in a hurry. Um, definitely didn't see this coming. Uh, Luke and I have both defended Brian Kelly on numerous occasions. And even back then, um, that's really where it started because he was on the hot seat and, you know, my whole argument at least was, you know, who are you going to hire? Who's out there that's better? Um, Because when you hire a new coach, you drastically change the program and everything that's going on. He had had proven success at the school. So I figured I had faith in him that he would kind of turn things around, but I didn't anticipate, you know, this incredible run. Yeah. I mean, it it is pretty wild to look back on. I mean, unfortunately, I think that 2016 season was kind of just doomed from the start. You just had a divided locker room with guys on either team Deshaun Kaiser or team Malik Zaire quarterback controversy and it all just kind of went downhill from that weird game in Texas to start the year but like I mean they still finished like 16th in advanced stats that year which was pretty wild every game was pretty much a one score game and I think if you asked a lot of people like that 2016 team pound per pound was a lot more talented than this current team actually I mean there were two top 10 picks on the offensive line you have Chase Claypool freshman Miles Boykin and Equinemius St. Brown at wide receiver uh like Notre Dame's best offensive draft prospect right now is a freshman tight end there were guys on that team who have had very good NFL careers either early on or they're going into it and it's kind of funny to look back because 
that team was arguably more talented than this current one, but there really has been just a complete cultural shift. And that was made possible by Brian Kelly taking a total step back and, and reevaluating everything he's done and, and making some really hard decisions. And it has resulted in, in what we've seen the last four years. I got to say, I think the worst part of Brian Kelly being able to do that and being, you know, humble enough and being self-aware enough to do that and completely overhaul his coaching staff um, and really overhaul the structure of how, you know, of how his program ran things was the fact that two years later, when Notre Dame beat USC, when USC was four and eight and Notre Dame was headed to the college football playoff, um, Lynn Swan, who shouldn't have ever been the AD of a Power Five program to begin with, decides to be like, you know what, I think, uh, I think uh, Clay Hilton could do the exact same thing. And so, look, Lynn Swan was delusional enough already, but the fact that uh, Brian Kelly gave him some sort of insane hope that Clay Hilton would be the same guy, well, that's something, that's a setback I think uh, USC is still kind of recovering from. So I'm especially mad about that from a USC fan, but obviously it worked out super well for you guys. So I take it you're not a Hilton guy. I'm not a Helton guy. Yeah, my, one of the things I'm quickly becoming known for on this podcast is not being a Helton guy. Um, but yeah that's a that's for a different day I digress it is kind of interesting I think that's a good point that you said that Lynn Swan thought maybe Clay Helton could do that now you're hearing at a couple different places like oh can Jim Harbaugh do that at Michigan can Justin Fuente do that at Virginia Tech and like I think what people are forgetting it's just how hard it was for Brian Kelly to do that and cut ties of people he'd been working with and st- stood in their weddings for you know yep. 25 years. Like it's not an easy thing to do. And for these athletic directors to, to sit there and think, oh, I'm going to give my guy a shot to do that. And, and fan bases, I think it's just a bit naive. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Kelly's amazing turnaround gave cover to, you know, not just USC, but other programs as well in terms of, Hey, maybe, you know, Maybe my coach can do that when clearly it was this massive, um, like you said, really difficult undertaking where he had to cut ties with guys he was really close to. Another big factor in Notre Dame's ascent over the past three years has been Ian Book. We can go over the stats. We can go over, we can go over the number stuff, but just kind of in terms of just kind of overall his place in Notre Dame history, where do you guys, like, where do you guys see Ian Book and all that? Like rank him? No, or- rank, ranking or just kind of like, is he on the like, is he on the level of great Notre Dame quarterbacks of the past? I would say he's up there for sure. Like he's, you have to mention him at the top. He's the winningest quarterback of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three-year starter. His career stats are going to be as good or better than a lot of the past quarterbacks, at least in the, you know, before the modern era, let's say, because he's throwing the ball a lot more. Like he's not going to break Brady Quinn's records or anything like that. Um, but to answer that question, I would say, talk to me in a month <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then I'll have answer. a better answer for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fair, but it, it is interesting because like, I think he's very hard to compare to say a Brady Quinn or a Jimmy Clausen, just cause they're in different offenses. They're, they're running different things. But like, even if you look at like Ian book stats last year, compared to this year like last year he threw for 34 touchdowns and six picks this year he only has 15 touchdowns through the air and and just two picks but I think people this year would say okay well he's playing in the games that matter a lot better like last year you had the Michigan disaster like in the Georgia game he just couldn't quite get it done so he's almost having kind of the inverse of the season he had last year but he's finally like kind of getting the recognition as this is this guy's a legitimate winner and I mean he's 
the all-time winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history now, which is – you can't dispute it. But like Woj said, like, I mean, where I cement him isn't going to be finalized in, until – hopefully January 11th. But, uh, I mean, there's no doubt he's been phenomenal and, and somebody that's going to be sorely missed next year. He's obviously made his impact felt in a big way past three years. Um, honestly, coming out of high school, three-star out of Northern California, El Dorado Hills. Really, I mean, at least for me, I expect him. I was like, oh, he might be a decent backup, you know? Not a lot expected out of him. So to see what he's been able to do has been crazy. And kind of on what you're saying, Luke, it has been – Interesting. People are recognizing him now, but yeah, his stats were a lot better last year. We had probably better receivers, more effective receivers, and have kind of gone back to the run game with the emergence of Kyron Williams, but he's gotten it done when it mattered. Like you said, he, he hasn't been able to really do that in a huge game until this Clemson game. So that Clemson game, I think, really cemented his ability and kind of his growth since last year where he was able to come through in that clutch game. But yeah, similar to you, I want I want three more wins, and then I will also be able to answer more fully so hopefully the Irish can do that and he and Book can really 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 cement his legacy um, with the national title for the Irish yeah absolutely no I completely that makes perfect sense I know Joel uh, has a lot that he wants to get through in terms of what do we expect in uh, Charlotte and the rematch next Saturday night yeah so it's going to be a different different landscape obviously the game's not at notre dame stadium we won't have luke smith there cheering the irish on unfortunately <laughs> you know maybe we will though, actually they're letting fans in i heard you guys maybe talking about possibly going um, any, any updates that on that any updates uh I, I mean we're gonna be down there still gotta figure out how to get into that stadium but uh right. i do believe we're gonna be down there <laughs> yeah no it's gonna be gonna be a crazy night gonna be fun um a lot of a lot of different faces, though. We got some defensive players back, obviously, for Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and some offensive linemen out for the Irish. Um, hasn't been a glaring weakness yet so far, but against a good Clemson defense, you know, we'll see how the young freshmen will perform on that line. What do you guys see um, changing with the dynamic of this game with some players out for the Irish who weren't before and some returners for Clemson? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the offensive line there. Um, you know, fortunately, it does seem like Tommy Kramer is going to play. He played a little bit against Syracuse this past week, and it sounds like just because he was begging Kelly to let him play a little bit in his last game at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, and, and I think Zeke Carell, who's taken over at center for Jared Patterson, is going to be a very good player, and he already is a good player, but there's no doubt about it. Uh, Jarrett Patterson, I think, is probably the best center in the country when healthy, and that first matchup, Venables was just – throwing double blitzes at him all game, um, and he handled it very well. And so much of Notre Dame's success in that game was due to just phenomenal pass protection, both from the offensive line and Kyron Williams. Um, I think it's been well documented. He picked up 23 of 23, like, pass protection blocks in that game, which Mm -hmm. is just absurd for a running back. But the big thing for me, you know, moving into this second matchup that I don't really think changes a whole lot. I know Clemson has a couple guys back. Skalski's back. Davis is back. But Notre Dame just out-physicaled Clemson in that first game. And you saw that down the stretch. Clemson had other guys going down with stingers and cramps in the second half. And and Notre Dame really just kind of imposed their will on Clemson, which is not something I think we really expected to see. but, But it was awesome to see. And I don't think that changes. You know, Trevor Lawrence um, obviously is the best player in the sport right now. And Notre Dame probably can't do what they did the first time, which was just to bottle up ETN and let DJ beat them. And, and he almost did. He threw all, all around the yard. So it'll be interesting to see how Clark Lee 
changes his game plan. Um, but what I will say is that I, I really do like our coordinators for two weeks prepare. Uh, I mean, they've been phenomenal all year and, and it should be another really, really good game. And, um, you know, I don't know that we've always had that feeling going into these big games for Notre Dame in the past, but I'm really excited for this one. And, and I think it should be another classic. Yeah. Someone's got to give in this one, right? Like two great coaching staffs with two weeks to prepare and with another game against that opponent just over a month ago, like just the amount of like resources at their disposal it makes you wonder, like, how is anyone going to get an edge here? And the one thing for me that, you know, with Trevor playing, obviously he's physically a little bit better than DJ Uyunglele. How much better? I don't know. It's hard to say because he's damn good. But the one thing for me is this is basically a playoff game for all intents and purposes for Clemson. And if you want to think even bigger picture, like, who knows if, if – Clemson were to lose this game is that Trevor Lawrence's last college game because if he's not playing the playoff what incentive does he have to play in the new, new Year's six bowl like what does he gain from that right so I think there's a sense of desperation here with Clemson because when and they're in losing they're out with Notre Dame I don't feel comfortable saying that Notre Dame is a lock even with a loss but you know the option is still there so I don't know if Notre Dame will feel that level of desperation like we have to win this because they don't really know with Clemson you know and I think they're going to come out with a different edge about them. And um, that's going to have more of a factor in this game than pretty much anything, really, because I think, like I was saying earlier, just two weeks of prayer, two great coaching staffs, two great teams, you know, who's going to have an edge. I think it's going to be really close and come down to the wire uh, yet again. And we'll just see how it, how it folds. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think. Obviously, this is the second time that Notre Dame will have played Clemson this season. And it's they always say it's really hard to beat a team a second time. Um, obviously, they have the film on you. They know what they did wrong, what they want to improve on. But there's a scenario out there in this world where Clemson beats Notre Dame. They both make the playoffs and they could meet again for a third time. I mean, what do you what do you guys think of of that possibility and just the different possibilities that could happen as a result of this game in the college football playoff? You're right. There are a million different results that could come out of this weekend with just every game that is going – or sorry, next weekend with every yeah. game that's going on, Florida-Bama, uh, the Big 12 championship, and whatever they're calling the Big 10 championship with the <laughs> team that's played five games. But, I mean, it's really crazy because, you know, if Florida is to beat Alabama, which I do not think will happen on the record, but say they do and Clemson beats Notre Dame, I wouldn't be shocked if they just said, hey, it's an SEC-ACC thing, if those games are both close and says, Ohio State, sorry, tough luck. And I'm not rooting for Notre Dame to lose this game, but part of me wants to see Ohio State get left out so badly, uh, if we're being completely honest, because they are just the most insufferable fan base there is. But, you know, I, I don't know. Like it, To me, it seems like there's kind of, I guess, six teams in play, and it's the top four, and then you have Florida and A&M. And, and A&M is really on the fringe to me as well. But, like, you're saying Notre Dame and Clemson potentially meeting a third time. I don't think that's ever happened in college football season. And mm -hmm. if there was one for it to happen in, of course it would be this one. Um, but if we have it our way, I, I would really like to just go through them this time, knock them off, end Trevor's career essentially, and then – then we had to fry bigger fish like, you know, those receivers at Alabama. But uh, it, it right. is crazy. And, you know, I think it's a reward for those, you know, whatever, five, six months it was. We didn't have any sports. Now we're having all these crazy hypotheticals and uh, makes things feel a little bit more normal again. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love it if they played three times because 
Notre Dame's already beaten them once. Like I would feel pretty good going into a national championship against a team that I know this team is capable of beating. So I'd be cool with it. Yeah, no, I think all of college football would be fine with it other than obviously fans of Bama, Florida, Ohio State, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's so many scenarios that are yet to play out. I know the Big Ten is pushing hard. They're trying to bend their rules saying, oh, it's an arbitrary number. We threw out six and they've only played five. But it would be very annoying for me and, and I'm sure you guys as Irish fans to see a five-win team get into the playoffs when we've played, well, have played 11 by the time the playoffs roll around. Um, I think it's just absolutely ridiculous but you know that's for the committee to decide and i hope that they have the wisdom to not put a five-win team in there and not bend the rules for the big 10 but we'll just see what happens with that really i'm not sure if you guys saw um jack swarbrick a few days ago during a conference call said probably one of the most sarcastic press conference quotes ever which is, of course, as we move forward, I'm thrilled to know that it may not be that important whether you continue to play 12 or 13 games. Insert smile here. We yeah, saw that. Which, yeah. I, did, I did see that. And a couple hours earlier, I had seen somebody saying, like, it's clear that they already think Ohio State is one of the first four teams. Otherwise, why would they have that yeah. in that spot? And I, my thought was, well, if that's the case, and let's be sure to use that line of thinking next year when Notre Dame's at 12-0 and 0 and ranked third, and they're complaining about a lack of a 13th data point. But. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's been true. the beef so, so many seasons. That's been, that's been people's argument. They're saying, oh, well, they don't have that conference championship. It's like, well, you have five games. So <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little bogus in my opinion. Yeah, personally, I have a vendetta against conference championships. I just think – I don't want to say they're irrelevant. I just think they matter when you want them to matter. I mean, Nick Saban had a great quote in, I think it was 2014, the first year of the playoff. He had a press conference and said, you know, I think you should have to win your conference championship to get in. And then in a couple of years later, I think it was 2018, the year that they ended up beating Georgia, Alabama didn't win the conference championship that year. They made it in. We're clearly the best team. So I don't know. I think people pick and choose like when they want it to matter and, this is Notre Dame's first one, maybe even their only one. And it's cool that, that we get this experience, but I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter unless you want it to. Right. Yeah. And if it's teams, I mean, if you look at it, if it's teams that are, have not in the position Notre Dame and Clemson or are who have maybe more losses, then it's like, eh, whatever, you know? So I think, yeah, obviously it does go into the criteria for the college football playoff, but yeah, it shouldn't be the end all be all. It should just be one in a list of criteria they have. I agree with you on that, Tyler. So yeah. And then I guess, I guess my last question coming kind of into this game is what do you guys believe are the keys to victory for both the Irish and Clemson? What, what are we going to need to see happen for the Irish or Clemson to come out on top? What do you think it's going to be? Yeah. I mean, I guess from Clemson's perspective, they couldn't run the ball at all against Notre Dame the first time around. Now, I think a lot of that was due to, to Notre Dame just kind of selling out and, and, you know, loading the box against ETN and forcing DJ to beat them. They're not going to be able to do that this time around. But, like, you know, ETN is one of the most dynamic players in college football. You have to get him going a little bit. Um, otherwise, I think it's going to be a struggle for them. I think defensively, Clemson used a lot of bullets in their chamber the first time around, to be honest, with different blitzes. You saw Venables just doing a bunch of different things. And, and Tommy Reese really outfoxed him with a bunch of different formations. And that brings me to the Notre Dame side of the ball. You know, Clemson's pretty notorious for, for sign stealing and things like that. Notre Dame, it'll be interesting to see to me what, what Reese comes up with 
in these two weeks to, to really prevent that from happening. And, you know, I think if Notre Dame plays the way they did the first time around with the physicality that they exhibited, just really taking it to Clemson, they're going to be in a great position. Um, but, but Clemson's going to have to find a way to counter that because they really couldn't do that the first time around. And, and that ended up making the difference in the game. Yeah. I think from Clemson's point of view, at least one thing I'm, I'm looking out for is Trevor Lawrence running the ball to get that run game going. Cause he's actually a pretty effective runner. I mean, he turned yeah. that, fiesta ball around last year with his legs that was like one of the best runs i had seen and he just took off and and that changed the whole dynamic of the game and i expect them to use him a little bit more in the run game just try to give Notre Dame different looks that they didn't see i was actually pretty surprised that clemson didn't try to run with dj in the last game because he's he's massive and you know he showed in the game before against boston college that he could run so i think that is what i i at least expect to see out of clemson um, on the offensive side and the defensive side, you know, more Brent Venables blitzes. He's probably going to try to attack Zeke Corella and see what he can do there. On the flip side, I think Notre Dame is going to try to use a lot of double team blocks if, if they can. And Clemson sending like six guys, then I have faith in the Notre Dame offensive line. And, and sort of on that note, I think Notre Dame is going to have to get, I mean, Book has to play amazing. Like if Ian Book doesn't play amazing, they don't really have a chance. And fortunately, yeah. he has been a lot in the past few games. Um, I think Notre Dame has to be able to run the ball effectively throughout the game. They had the huge run early in the game, and then it kind of stalled out. But Ian was passing, and, and Ian was running, so it didn't really matter that much. If they can get a consistent effort throughout the game and then just out-physical them, if it's a one-score game in the fourth quarter, I mean, Notre Dame completely wore Clemson down last time. If they can do that again, um, you know, Trevor doesn't play offensive or defensive line. So I think that's how Notre Dame has their best chance to win. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a lot of points. Obviously, as as that Notre Dame Syracuse game was winding down last week, Mike Tirico he asked Tony Dungy. Obviously, they saw the rematch was coming. They saw the writing on the wall. He said, "How much of an effect does it have that Trevor Lawrence is back?" And Tony Dungy, I was happy to hear this, but kind of surprised. He said, "I don't think it has a huge effect." I mean, you saw the way DJ played, and he said to your point, Tyler and Luke, you mentioned this as well. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame outphysicaled them on the offensive and defensive line, and. Trevor Lawrence coming isn't going to change that. The Irish are still going to be bringing heat. The defensive line had a lot of chances to get DJ Uyangalale on the ground, couldn't until that overtime, but they were bringing pressure. They were in his face, and that offensive line out physical them as well. So if the Irish can continue to do that and play that physical brand of football, I think it's definitely looking positive for this. <laughs> Crazy to say, I didn't think I'd be saying this like Austin said when we went four and eight four years ago, but could beat Clemson two times in the same season, the ultimate kill shot. So hoping the Irish can pull that off and looking forward for a exciting physical game. Yeah. Um, Tyler, you mentioned this earlier, but I thought, you know, it was a great point. Joel and I had the chance to watch uh, DJ Uyagalele in high school. We went to college about 20 minutes from where uh, he went to high school down in Southern oh. California. We got to watch him play uh, Bryce Young and modern day, which is uh, modern day is essentially the Bama of yeah. California high school football. Mm-hmm. And that was the game. There was the game later that year where he actually led a comeback in the uh, state championship. I think it was the semifinals, but we watched them play in the regular season. And to your point, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football. DJ is no scrub and especially the physicality that he brings. He was going up against in the game. We saw him, he was going up against a clearly better and more dynamic modern day team but he he just kept battling and he just kept whether it was making stuff happen with his legs whether it was making stuff happen with his arm like he 
he never fully gave up. He gave them everything uh, they could handle. And watching that Clemson-Notre Dame game reminded me of a lot of that. So he was definitely, I mean, I feel like a lot of kind of general college football fans in hindsight can go back to that first Notre Dame win. They're like, well, yeah, it was double overtime. It was against Clemson's backup. It's like, no, Clemson's backup is a guy who would be starting at most other programs and only isn't starting this season because Trevor Lawrence is the first stringer. And, you could make an know, argument that he's a top five quarterback. Not to yeah, could. No, you I mean, there's a legitimate could. argument that he right now, as it stands, is as good, if not better, than pretty much every other quarterback in the country. Like, would you rather have him or Mac Jones? So I think it's an honest question. Yeah, no, uh, he was the probably the best college or excuse me, high school football player I've ever seen with my own eyes. And I think you're absolutely right. Like he is already a very, very special player at the college level and will continue to be so. I think, you know, to your point, like, yes, Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, but beating Clemson, even with DJ in there, is nothing to sneeze at whatsoever. And I think um, should give you guys quite a bit of optimism going into this rematch. Yeah, absolutely. I just uh, got to make sure I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do the next nine days. Besides probably watch that first <laughs> game like four times, but yeah. I'm, I'm ready. There you go. Well, hey, thanks so much for hopping on today, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, if you guys just have anything you want to plug, obviously your podcast, social media, anything, go ahead. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Sons of Sat Irish. And then in that page, if you want to follow our personal accounts, and it's on there in the description. So we appreciate the time and uh, it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely yeah, appreciate it. it. Yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. And uh, looking forward to a fun game in nine days. Counting down the hours. <laughs>